the Say That the podcast, where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me in city, but not in vicinity for me, very safe social distance, is one Jed Brewer. Well, hello. Also joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors for Crash Community Church, Lee Younger. Glenn! Glenn, where are you, Glenn? Glenn, still on his sojourn of unknown and, let's be honest, suspicious destination and declination. Absolutely. Glenn! We once again <laughs> soldier on in his dead. Any more, any more it, cries of anguish before we move on? Is he still I'm on shaking that... my fist at the heavens. <laughs> is he still on that journey because we recorded these back-to-back or for other reasons? Hard to say. Hard to say. Maybe he just took to the open road. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> just he's on he's he time traveled back in time to like route 66 oh yeah oh yeah well gentlemen speaking of classics oh. i need to declare a new media but in another sense classic pastoral emergency wow oh pastoral in the sense of like rolling hills yes yes you have it exactly oh that sounds like a nice relaxing emergency Oh, wait, no, I was wrong. Pastoral in the sense of pastors. That's the opposite in a lot of ways. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, given that, you know, we've all been in some form of social distance lockdown for about three months at this point, most of us anyway, um, we've had an awful lot of online church to attend. And we want to be clear here. There are folks out there doing an uh, unbelievable job uh, of making a way for folks to connect. The folks at Triple C are doing incredible. It's awesome. It's super, super cool. We're trying with the bridge. We do what we can, you know. But (laughs) One of the things that's emerged during this time period is there's a certain number of, uh, shall we say, slightly overused cliches that get, uh, oh. you know, done on the video, on the live cast, the live streams, whatever you want to call them. But it leads to a fun time possibility, and that is live stream pastor bingo. <laughs> ah. I've distributed to my co-hosts bingo boards. Okay, with possible phrases. We should need to fill them in. I'd like to begin us. One possible phrase, of course, is Webster's defines ellipsis. Oh, that's rough. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But that's just that's just a starting shot, just an opening salvo. What what do we? How do we fill this out? I, I was going to say, you know, there's there's always kind of a free space in the mid, in the middle of the direct center of the board. Yeah. So should that just be like C.S. Lewis quote? Yes. Yeah. Did you know it's going to happen? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm, I'm going to go for this one's a little bit more esoteric, but go with me. I'm going to go with um, thing that is supposed to look charmingly spontaneous that's clearly planned. <laughs> so that might be, you know, bumping the phone or dropping something or the kid comes in, but it's one of those like, oh, no. <laughs> well, we're all having a lot of fun. But seriously... some of these might apply for your zoom meeting bingo cards as well yes yes okay so then actually similar to to zoom meetings there's a lot of overlap with corporate here euphemisms for the dumpster fire that is current existence on planet earth i'm saying in uncertain times like these oh uncertain times is good (laughs) thank you thank you well, I think to that tip, you know, in the beginning of kind of 
as if to indicate you're about to hear a sermon from someone who's over their head and doesn't really want to be giving a sermon, but they have to address these topics. You know, I've just been uh, reading and praying a lot this week. (laughs) (laughs) And to be clear, reading and praying is great for a sermon, but when it has that big heavy sigh at the beginning of it. Oh, yeah. Should we put sports metaphors in, in, should there be a square for individual sports or uh, do we want to, do we want to have just kind of sports metaphors be one whole block right there? Judges? Oh, I think, I think we can, we can, I think we can micromanage that. So we've got the, the, in the umbrella sports metaphor, because I think you have to get extra, maybe there's like a super space for weird sports metaphor. Okay. Like, if you want to give me a, a competitive sailing metaphor, that's a little out there. Sure. Yeah. There's also the the uh, generation splitting sports metaphor. Like, and I'm look, we're all old. I have this too. Like, you know, talking about Reggie White as if that's someone who a significant part <laughs> of our audience wasn't uh, embryonic when he was playing. Right, because in my mind, Reggie White played like four years ago, but that's not actually how that happens. So I think that's that's a good subgenre of sports metaphor. Sounds good. Well, I think a lot of churches are hurting in the, you know, in in the fact that people aren't in the building to actually give. You know, so some churches are hurting kind of financially and stuff like that. So we need to have a square there for the classic: you can't outgive God. Oh, oh. that's very good. Very very good. Yeah, one one variant, you know, because I when I was young, I, I attended a certain number of fairly charismatic churches. So I'm gonna have, I think, a square for uh, pressed down, running over into your lap, <laughs> shaken together. That's right, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. That's right. That's very very good. Um, one of my favorites is a movie analogy where the point is the big emotional thing that happens at the end of the movie. So he has to walk you through the entire plot beat by beat <laughs> to make sure that it has the resonant kind of impact. The the look on Glenn's face when he told me the story of a brother giving a Lord of the Rings analogy at the bridge. And I mean, it was one of those things where he was, when Glenn was telling me the story, he was milking every word and he kept, he kept coming back and reminding me, we're talking about the bridge. Yeah. And he's talking about the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> just milking, just making sure that I squeeze all of the ridiculousness of this moment out of that. Yes, bless him. He is a very good dude and a very good pastor. But this was a fellow, I think it was like my first year at the bridge. So he's up there, he's giving the sermon. And keep in mind, this was a good decade after these movies had come out. (laughs) This wasn't like when this was in the zeitgeist. And he, honest to heavens, says to this room full of recovering addicts, people out of jail, people (laughs) off the street. So there's a moment when Gandalf is being pursued by the Balrog. (laughs) And he looks at these people and says, y'all know what the Balrog is, right? And he sees a sea of faces that say, no, we do not know what the Balrog is. And instead of taking the off ramp to just say, well, it's like a big monster. We all have monsters. He says, and Jed can check me on the quote, 
The Balrog yep. is an evil from an earlier age of Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And walks us Silmarillion up to the point. <laughs> <laughs> right there. <laughs> okay, just as an extension and a variation on this, as performance art, the next time, and let's be honest, this is never going to happen again, but the next time I get invited to preach at a church, my whole sermon is I'm going to, and I think I, I know the film I want to do this with, I'm going to just start from minute one explaining the plot of Cloud Atlas and just see how far I can go before people realize it's a bit. Does even the producer of Cloud Atlas understand the plot of Cloud no. Atlas? No. Well, I think I think on the movies are obviously Ridge Vane. I think um, a square for trying to make a heartwarming, positive point about a movie that's mostly horrific things. <laughs> and definitely Shawshank Redemption might get its own square. <laughs> Matt, this is bad and I shouldn't do it. Please. And I feel bad that it entered my mind and that I'm going to do it anyway on our Christian podcast. As long as you feel bad. But could you have just an ancillary uh, drinking game for the phrase Father God? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That's uh I know if you do that that in campus ministry, you're going to end up with kid with a renal or, failure. Or, or the the other the other side of that is just the word "just" in a prayer. Yeah, just really. Yeah. When one of my favorite bits we ever did on this podcast was when Jed ordered from Wendy's in the uh, Christian prayer meeting voice. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think it may be time for a return. Only this time, <laughs> we're going to Taco Bell. Taco Bell drive through guy. Say we that. Just, classic. Mm, we just come before you today, Taco Bell drive through guy. And we just, <laughs> we know it's your will that we be fulfilled today, that we be satisfied. And so we believe in your name, Taco Bell drive through guy, that you want us to have a Crunchwrap Supreme. And we claim in this moment that we will receive that Crunchwrap Supreme. We know it's your will for us. And so we come to your, well, not really throne, but, but more drive through of delicious. <laughs> We come with confidence. We know that you want us to be filled up. And so we're asking in this moment, yes, we want not just with that. We do. We're greedy for more of your goodness in our lives. And we, we pay all of these things with our Visa card. Amen. And all his people said, live Moss. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, back to the big old cards. I think uh, pop culture references are such a rich vein for this. And one of my favorites, and I know he doesn't listen to the show, but a lot of trouble people are going to enjoy this, because Lee's boss is a key offender on this, referencing thing we all know you never watched. Yeah. (laughs) Big time offender. When he he quoted uh, the – what's the movie, Matt, with the the guy that eats people? With Jodie Foster. Oh, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, the Silence of the Lambs. When when a brother when a brother that precious quotes the Silence of the Lambs, you know not only has he never watched it, he's never going to watch it. Let's have a square for it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh yeah, and any an, any ancillary whatnot. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I mean, does this is not really saying something, but it's certainly it's something we all do. Does rolling up your sleeves in a specific way to expose your tattoo get its own square? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you, you know, you you got to let people know what's up. So, yeah, 
Wow. Well, I, I think at this point, we can pretty much package this and sell it. And with any luck, we will have people playing Say That Pastor Bingo and sending nonstop app requests to everyone on their Facebook list Dude. all day, every day. Uh, I'm telling you, this could be a real app. This th- Now, this is the angle we haven't even thought about with this, is could this be like an app that the Say That uh, machine makes... And this is how we get that sweet, sweet money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our ship is finally coming in, y'all. We're going to be rolling in the dough. That's right. Going to get us some of that sweet soft bank money. (laughs) (laughs) And on that basis, I declare a pastoral bingo emergency off. (laughs) That That was very well done. We got a lot. A lot going on that. And if you'd like to tune in to hear uh, myself be extremely self-conscious about not doing any of these things, you can check out our live bridge cast. Which you should do. Every Tuesday. Except, or yeah, maybe I'll go the other way and just do a sermon that has no content and is all these things. <laughs> uh, so that's every Tuesday, 7.30 Central time facebook.com slash the bridge chicago we do certainly hope you will join us we also hope that you'll sign up for bridgebox missionusa.com slash bridgebox only eight dollars a month get all sorts of good stuff into your inbox every single month missionusa.com slash bridgebox that is the rarely seen double segue Nice. Because not only was uh, a couple weeks ago on June the 2nd, was this our topic for that week's live Bridgecast, this is also our Bridgebox topic for the month, oh, is yeah. our first question. And it says, how do I deal with uncertainty? I wouldn't say I fear the unknown, but when I don't know what is coming next in my life, I start to question and overthink everything. With so much uncertainty around myself and the world, how do I keep from getting overwhelmed? And a great question to be sure. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, this is, I think, a challenging thing to look at for a lot of reasons. But one of the key ones is that it's going to involve us finding and maintaining a balance. And that's mm. really hard. It's anything in life where we've kind of got to uh, land it right down the middle and stay there is very, very hard to do. I think all of us would prefer go all the way in one direction or another uh, and pay. I think that's something we'd feel better about. Okay, so here's the balance that we're looking at. On the one hand, we have uh, responsibly planning for the future, which is a good thing. And on the other hand, we have living in the moment where we are not worrying about tomorrow. These are both good things. And to deal with uncertainty in a good and godly and mature way, we kind of have to do both of them at the same time, which is a really, really challenging thing to pull off. Let's kind of look at the shadow side of each of those for a second because it's going to give us some clues about how we might approach that idea of balance. So we have the idea of uh, uh, responsibly planning for the future. It's a good idea. It's a biblical idea. It's a good thing. Um, It can also become obsessing over the future and trying to control things over which we do not have any control. So we've got one version of this that's good, that's right, that's godly, that's biblical. We've got another version that's really destructive. It'll burn us out. It doesn't lead to good things. And it's kind of us trying to play God. 
So we've got that. Then on the other hand, uh, we have this idea of living in the moment, uh, which again, very, very biblical, very, very healthy. Do not worry about tomorrow, for each day has enough trouble of its own. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life or a single inch to your height? Um, so that's really, really good. Again, clearly biblical. It's, it's straight from Jesus. It's, it's great. But we can also take that idea into an unhealthy place where we never consider the consequences of any decisions that we make of any kind. Uh, And that's not good either, and not what Jesus had in mind. So we have a thing where what we really, really need is to find a balance. And so none of us like needing to find a balance because it's hard and it doesn't come naturally. The second thing that makes it difficult and goes right along with it is that to find a balance like this, it's going to kind of vary depending on the situation in which we find ourselves. Mm. There's not a one-size-fits-all to uncertainty in general or even specific cases of uncertainty. Suppose that you felt like your job might be in jeopardy, which is something that a lot of people are dealing with right now. How to find the balance of dealing with that uncertainty is going to depend pretty wildly on the specifics of your situation. Uh, the kind of work you do, the kind of industry that you're in, where you live geographically, there's there's about a thousand variables that would play into it. Yes, What we're going to land on is something where we are keeping a balance of responsibly planning for the future while also living in the moment. But how to do that is really going to be informed very, very heavily by the specifics of your situation. So what this means is that we need to reach out to another human being and get some help for the specific situation that we're dealing with. Um, that could be a good pastor. It could be a good mentor. Depending on the situation you're dealing with, that could be a good counselor, a good therapist. And it may be a combination of a number of those people. Uh, but we need to get some good wisdom and some good advice on how to deal with our specific situation. Yes, we want to land on a place, responsibly planning, also living in the moment. But how we're going to do that really, really depends on the details. And I think this is one of those areas where trying to do all this for yourself is probably not the best idea. Uh, Trying Mm. to find all those answers inside of your own head is probably not the best idea. Reaching out and getting some help from someone else who can see your situation, hopefully with more clarity, but certainly with more objectivity than you can, is going to help a whole heck of a lot. And I think that's where we start. Uh, I totally agree. I think that's a fantastic place to start. And Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think uh, Jez is absolutely right that we're – one of the things where eventually, and may not be where we start, but pretty soon, we're going to get down to some details. We're going to get down mm. to and yeah. uh, the little things. And the thing about that is they kind of never stop coming at us. So not only how do we deal with the uncertainty when we get moving, but I love what the question asked us about questioning and overthinking everything. Because I think you can't get that paralysis by analysis. So how, mm. do we, how do we go about making sure we don't get overwhelmed? I love that question, and I love the refinement that that you're bringing to it, Matt. And and I want to go back to one thing that that Jed said at the beginning of his answer, which is that what you're facing is challenging. That's an important thing to to say, and I want to underline it because I think that too often things that are really really difficult, we have this assumption that we should just be able to school it. We should just be able to just dunk that ball. But this yeah. is 
This is challenging. This is a challenging thing to do, to strike the right balance between things that are really, really difficult to understand, um, overwhelming emotional uh, pressures of an uncertain future. Man, that's, that's really difficult stuff. That's important. It's important to, to recognize the challenging nature of it, because what we want to do in the middle of that is to underline that and say, as a result of that being true, we want to encourage you to be kind to yourself as you figure yes. this out. Yes, say uh, that. To, to give yourself a lot of grace as you try to understand how to do this well, um, that, that's an important thing. One thing that I would encourage you, just right on the heels of the, the way that Matt is directing the question, is that sometimes in the midst of being overwhelmed by the uncertainty of the future, what you need to do is to change the channel fiercely by forcing yourself to deal with the details of the present. <laughs> um, w- what I mean by that is this. Uh, you can't actually control all of the things that are overwhelming about what your your future is. Uh, and that being the case, it's a good thing to forcibly remind yourself of that of that truth every now and then. I can't actually control everything that I'm afraid of or worried about. So what I need to do is um, <clears throat> I need to focus my attention and energy on one practical thing that I can actually do about today, about that fear. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow something from a thing that like, you know, one of the things that you find out when you get married is that you are tying your life to someone who thinks in a completely different way than you do. And, um, like one of the things that I've realized about the, about my wife is that when she, uh, when she feels some overwhelming feelings of, of like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the other thing. What she does not want me to do is to say, here are 17 reasons you don't need to be worried about those things in the future. She does not want me to do that. What she wants me to do in that moment, and the most helpful thing is to say, let's find a practical solution and a way to move forward practically today on one of those things. And it's amazing how much actually doing something practical in the midst of any of those things, can completely zap all of the cloud of emotion surrounding the uncertainty about the future of those things. Uh, you may f- your mileage may vary, but you may find that this is a very helpful thing too a- as a way to change the channel off of all of the overwhelming nature of the, the fear of the uncertainty. So you've got a you got a let's look at a, a specific example. We're feeling like the house is coming down around us, and we uh, we can't host anybody because we can't get we can't get any of the cleaning under control. So what we could do is one way of solving that is to say, you know what, the people that we're having over, they don't care what the house looks like or whatever. So let's just have everybody over, despite what the house looks like. That's one way of of looking at that. Another way of saying that is, let me help you right now in folding this laundry. Let's start here. Let's fold the laundry. And what's crazy about a situation, uh, handling the problem in, in a way like that, is that you take a practical step solving one little thing that's actually in your control. And that's what we want to do. In the midst of uh, overwhelming uncertainty of, about the future, let's look at one thing that you can actually control where you can take a practical step, be that a job application or getting up and getting dressed, taking a shower, getting dressed, making some breakfast or driving to that office and turning in that paperwork or whatever that thing is. 
In the midst of this overwhelming cloud of uncertainty, where is one place where I can make a practical thing? I want to be really kind to myself. I want to set my hand and my energy to one practical thing that I can actually control today. And you will be surprised at how much that, that actually helps you face and change the channel off of the overwhelming uh, cloud of uncertainty about the future. Some practical step today in, in a thing that you can actually control. Amen. A really excellent technique and something that, again, you can't overvalue, as Lee says there, being able to practically do something, to put your hands on something and kind of affect your situation. Because the truth is that everything in life has a little bit of uncertainty. You know, um, the thing you're, that is most constant uh, in your life, you know, somebody could be late or, you know, you could a broken window, whatever the most constant thing in your life is, it there's some uncertainty to it. That's just the world we live in. We're being acted on by forces. So one thing you can definitely do, as Lee's pointing out there, is is look at the little ways where you can inject some measure of uh, not necessarily control, but you affecting your environment. That's very, very good. Uh, the other thing in, to look on the total opposite end of the spectrum, which is also good, is you look at something like uh, Philippians 4, 7, where, you know, Paul says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We, we want to do the little practical things we can, but at some point we do have to get to a point where we decide that uh, despite the uncertainty, we're going to live. We're going we're gonna to move on, you know, to, to the we can't have anybody over analogy. We can, you know, there will never be a point where we are clean, the house is totally cleaned, and we can ensure that in the whatever, two days before we have people over, nothing bad will happen. Like, you know, nothing's going to get knocked over or, you know, we're not going to, a pipe's not going to leak or something. We do have to have a combination of we did what we can, we did what was good, and now we do have to move on with life. You know, you can't guarantee that you're going to get that job, but you can polish up your resume and put in the application and let the other things kind of fall where they may. And, that's a difference in attitude between tr- aside from trying to control all every detail, which is not what Lee's describing there. He's talking about taking care of what you can. And the other half of that is acknowledging that there are going to be some things you can't fully control and uh, fully get under wraps. And you have to leave room for those in your life as well. That's why we need a piece that passes understanding. Um, if we could control every part of a situation, that would be a piece that's very understandable. I would totally understand where that piece comes from. Um, moving forward into an uncertain world in a way that uh, moves forward and God, expecting God to meet you there, that's that kind of uh, supernatural piece that is going to get you where you're going and part of definitely what we want for you. Move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, is it okay to settle for dating a non-Christian person if no Christians want to date me? No one approaches me in person. No one replies to my messages on online dating, Christian dating websites. I'm so lonely and don't want it to be like this forever. Would I be better off with a non-believer than being alone forever? And certainly a type of question we've gotten a lot of the years. We've been a long time since we've dug in to some of this. And one of the the uh, excellent um, developments over the years of this show is since I'm married now, people no longer think this is me writing in dating questions anonymously, which <laughs> was an accusation leveled some years ago. Oh, my so word. There's the specifics of this, and then there, I think there's a, a larger underlying idea, which we certainly get into as well. But, Jed, where would we start off? 
Well, if you're asking this question, I think you probably already know the verses in the Bible that uh, people would quote to you. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, what I am going to do is I'm going to say I'm really sorry for what you're dealing with, and it super, super sucks to feel Amen. lonely and to feel alone, um, and we're sorry for it. And we love you, and we've got your back. Rather than quote Bible verses to you, I want us to look together at a concept called core values that I think will help to inform whatever you decide to do for you. So um, everybody has uh, just preferences, stuff they like, stuff they don't like. Um, you know, I like chocolate, you like vanilla, somebody else likes strawberry. But as as those likes and dislikes kind of become more and more important to us, they... they start to become what people refer to as core values, which are the things that at the end of the day, I really care about these things. I think they are important. I think they matter. I would not feel like I was living the life that I want to live if these things weren't in my life, right? Everybody has core values, whether they think about them or not, whether they would use that phrase or not, whether they've ever heard that phrase or not. Everybody has core values. And so the first thing that I want to encourage you to look at is do you know what your core values are? Do you know what the things that really, really matter to you at the end of the day are really important to you? And here's the key thing, and this is, this is super critical. I'm not asking what you think your core values are supposed to be. That's a different thing. I'm asking yeah. you what, what they are, right? We, if, you've, if you've been to church much, you, you probably have a sense of what they're supposed to be. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what they actually are. And then on the other side of that, the question I have for you is, do you know where you might find people who share those core values? Because here's the thing is um, relationships are really hard work. You've probably heard that before. It's also true. Um, And when you have two people who have pretty overlapping core values and are basically pointed in the same direction – and, and want to be pointed in the same direction and are willing to, to put in work in an ongoing way to have a functional relationship, relationships are still a lot of work. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like a, yeah. a lot. They're, they're worth it for sure, yeah, dude. but they're still a lot of work. I'm not telling you that you can't have a functional relationship with someone who doesn't share your core values. I am telling you that's playing this game on hard mode. Um, and I, I think it's really worth asking if you want to do that. And I think it's worth asking if you want to do that for your sake and for theirs. I'm going to give you a couple examples of, of what I mean. I'm going to start with, with a couple of things that maybe, uh, are closer to preferences than core values, but they, they illustrate the point. And they're things I've actually seen play out in the lives of people that I love. I know a number of people for whom their greatest joy in life is travel. The thing that they like to do, the thing they want to do more than anything else is to just see the world, to see every place in the world. They, they have just a wanderlust that is just caught up in their bones, and they just – they need to go forth and, and see places. It's great. It's fantastic. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. I know plenty of people who would say, I hate to travel. Um, I, am, I am a homebody. The happy place for me is at home. Um, where I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to be where I am, which is at home. That's why they call it home, because that's the place that I want to be. Now, there's nothing wrong with either of these. It's really critical that we be clear on this. One of those is not a more righteous view of life than the other. 
they're just very strongly held preferences that may begin to border on core values. Now, the in in your head, I, I think we need to do a thought experiment, which is if we take Travel McGee and we pair him up with uh, Susie Homebody, is that fair to either of these people? And I want you to think about that. Are we creating a situation where one or both of these people is going to wind up massively disappointed? It's one thing if it's a moderate, you know, moderately held uh, preference of, ah, you know, I, I'd like to travel from time to time, and ah, yeah, generally, I basically want to stay at home. That's one thing. But if it's something where, no, my passion in life is to go forth and see the world. That's the thing that, that motivates me and gets me out of bed. If we're talking about that level of intensity, I think it's worth asking if, if we're setting these, both of these people up for disappointment and discouragement. And I don't think that's fair to either of them. I, we could look at other examples that, that you know, would get more on the nose, but I think you probably see where I'm going with this. I think you deserve to have a person who shares your core values. Um, I think you need to know what they are, but I think you deserve to have a person who shares them. Um, that will probably be someone who shares what living out your faith looks like. You could find a person who could say the same doctrinal statement as you and does not share your core values, and, and that we need to be crystal clear on. But I think you, you, you deserve to have a person who actually shares your core values, including in matters of faith, so that you guys can have a life where you are stronger together. Uh, we want that for you. We, we think you deserve to have that, and we want to encourage you to not give up on that desire. That's all very excellent stuff. It also gives me an excellent idea for my uh, post-COVID fitness craze, Core Values, where you read Bible verses <laughs> while doing planks. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it. That I good. think that's going to be a big hit. And all, all excellent stuff from Jed there. And Lee, certainly uh, your work with young people, with college-age folks, uh, particularly you, you, I imagine you deal with this kind of thinking a lot sure. and kind of the, the, the feeling this person has of, you know, I, this false choice of kind of loneliness or something less. So what yeah. would we say to them? Yeah, I, I love that you said the word false choice. I, the, the rhetorical term that I thought of was the buried fallacy of, uh, of Christian dating, the, the mindset that the, the thing that Christians always miss, which is the idea that the only thing that matters is finding a believer. And once you do that, no other work is required. Of course. Uh, the relationship is done. Uh, cue the music, Jed. Run the credits. It's like we're a magic amulet. We're good. Everything's cool. It's just like a Jane Austen story. Everything, the, the story ends at the wedding. Oh, yeah. And everything's fine. It always is. Um, no other work is required. And, and look, and, and the other side of that buried fallacy that, that agrees with it is that no relationship, no matter how healthy, could ever be good with a non-believer. Uh, no, matter, no matter how much you set up good boundaries and great communication and stuff like that, that c- it could never work with a, with a non-believer, Jed. And oh, so sure. the, these are buried fallacies. Um, and, and what we, what we want to say out loud is that, and, and Jed already alluded to and said a lot of this, relationships take a whole hell of a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, my least favorite thing that happens is that when somebody looks at um, somebody observes uh, observes the the health and the kindness of my relationship with my wife and says this statement right here. Gosh, you and Christy were so lucky to have found each other. Uh, no, 
We <laughs> built this thing, man. We worked hard. Uh, we, we, we've been married almost 19 years. We, we dated three years before that. There's been, a, there's been an uphill climb, a lot of it. We've worked hard for this thing. We were not lucky to have found each other. I mean, by the grace of God, I mean, we're thankful for, for him, you know, for just him leading us together and all that kind of stuff. But we have worked our butts off for what is good about this relationship. And this is the buried fallacy of relationships is that you shove two Christians together, everything's great. Uh, shoot off the fireworks, throw the, throw the rice or whatever. The truth is that dating requires a lot of honesty, difficult conversations, uh, boundaries. You're going to hurt each other's feelings. You got to learn how to, to, how to rebound from that. The things that you can never say to this person that you may be able to say to other friends, you've got to learn a lot of, it's going to take a lot of hard work. And I honestly think, I honestly think that if, that, um, you know, if you've set up good boundaries, you've have communicated them clearly going on some dates with a non-believer. I mean, why not? Go for it. Uh, you, you might learn a lot about relationships in that situation. I compl- let, let me say this. This might sound like I'm on a different side from Jed's answer. I'm not. I, I completely agree. When we talk about core values, you don't want to set up a life with somebody that has um, completely different core values from you. I, I loved his illustration of uh, of you know playing the game on you know on the hard the hardest mode available uh, you know but I think that the the opposite of that is that some people think that uh, if you just get together with any believer then that's setting up the game on on rookie and, yep. and everything's going to be fine you're just going to get a million kills and and be victorious and 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 hit every level and every you know every checkpoint easily that's not the way this works relationships are hard man. And if you're going to have an egalitarian, you know, a relationship where each person, each partner is equal, you are going to have to have some, some massive learning. And so if, if you want to, if you want to just have good relationships, then we need to have clear uh, boundaries we need to establish and maintain those boundaries. We need to have good communication, and we can do that and 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 learn some chops for for uh, for good relationships with believers and non-believers. But I think that we need to establish some 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 things that we want to go for. Not just I want to be with somebody who believes in Jesus. I want to be with someone who's kind and respects me. Yep. I want to be with someone. Let let me say this very clearly. And, and, and I may say it a couple of times. I want to be with someone who clearly wants to be with me. Yep. I am not somebody's second choice. Yep. I, I want to be with somebody who wants to be with me, who is kind, who is compassionate, who is respectful, who listens to me. Look, you find somebody like that who's not a believer. Let me say some things. Hey, their story's not over yet, baby. Th- they might become one. Now, we, we don't want to be a huge proponent of missionary dating or whatever, but like, look, we can learn a lot about relationships by doing the work. So um, it's n- all that to say, that whole thing to say, it's not clear cut on that one statement from 2 Corinthians 6 or whatever. 
Let's not pin the whole thing on that and say, if we find any Joe believer, it's going to be amazing. And, and, and anybody who's not willing to do the work, or anybody who's willing to do the work but is not a believer, it's going to be a, a, a tire fire. That's not what the situation is. It's much more nuanced than that. And with a non-believer or a believer, we need to have clear boundaries. We need to demand respect. We need to have somebody who's kind, and we need to have somebody that wants to be with you. Uh, it's all really fantastic stuff, and I really, I really like the nuance leads bringing to that because I think it it actually dovetails right with what Jed was saying there. Because and this gets lost in a lot of Christian conversation about this stuff, and uh, that's fine. Uh, as but we're very clear about it in the show, dating and marriage are different relationships. Uh-huh. Amen. If you're looking for someone to date, that's fine. That's one thing. If you're looking for someone to marry. Now we're talking about a different thing, and we really want to be a lot more firm in those core core values as Jed's talking about. Lee's talking about dating. Yep. Um, we don't necessarily yeah, need to attach right. a statement of faith to that. Particularly, <laughs> and this is going to tie into what we're talking about here, what you describe is, you didn't describe wanting a relationship. Thanks for asking me out, Matt. How do you feel about the five points of Calvinism? <laughs> I, why, thank you. I brought these mini tulips to serve <laughs> as a healthy visual aid. I brought chocolate tulips for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but all that to say, um, what you describe in the question is wanting something to scratch the itch of your loneliness. Um, that is different than wanting a partner. That's different than wanting a long-term relationship. That's sure different than wanting a marriage. Yep. And here's the thing. We're not judging that. Uh, as Lee right. says, if you want to go out meet someone who you think is what you would have fun with and not be cooped up in your, your house alone, then maybe we don't need to be too uh, strong on the theologicals at some point. Now, if you transition to wanting someone to build your life with, to possibly raise your children with, to, to walk through the whole of your existence together, A, we, we hope you would want someone who has the same, you know, fundamental belief about the universe and God as you do. But here's something for sure. We want more for you than not feeling lonely. Yes. Amen. Do Dude, not yeah. marry someone so you don't feel lonely. That's right. If you want to get on a, an app and go out and get coffee with someone so you don't feel lonely, okay, maybe it's not the best idea in the world, but certainly not at the end of the world. Thousands of people out there doing it right now. Uh, wear a mask. Sit outside. Um, <laughs> it, but... When you're talking about marriage, if you're talking about getting more serious, not feeling lonely is way, way, way too low of a bar for you to set. <laughs> yeah. That is not that is not something as as a, a comedian Jeff Foxworthy said. That's like buying an airline to get free peanuts. Yeah, mm. you just want the the little thing. Don't don't go with the rest of that. But this is a process. Learning how to be in relationships is a process. Learning what you think about relationships. Is a process. Um, if you want to go out with someone so that you think, uh, just so you're in the in the motion of it, and maybe again they you meet someone, you know, you could meet someone Christian on a non-Christian dating site. That's certainly that's certainly possible. You might someone who's a little interested in it or fell off or whatever, but not identifying enough to go on Christian mingle or whatever. That's all. That's all cool. But again, we we want to set our terms here, and again, what you describe is. I, w- I want someone to go out with and hang out with so uh, I don't feel lonely and I don't feel constantly rejected by everyone on the site that's not returning my messages. 
Both of those things make total sense to us. Now, that's different than, you know, those more deep relationships down the line, but we don't want to get those, those twisted together, and we don't necessarily want to judge yourself for wanting to not feel lonely. But what we don't, definitely don't want you to do is get in the mindset of, in order to not have a lonely life, I need to settle for less. That is in the long term. Again, that's, that's not what we... We want you to say on that. And you say, in order to not feel lonely, in order to address the relational part of my life, I need to make some choices. I need to go out and try some things. I need to try different avenues and different. That's cool. That's positive. That's a building towards something. But we do want you in the long, long term to keep those standards high and, you know, keep your hopes high as well. And that's going to pay off in the long term. Because, and again, we've all, we've all been there. And I'm most recently married this person on the show. Here's what I say. Nobody makes good relationship decisions when they're lonely. Yeah. Like this, mm. in the same way, if nobody makes good dietary decisions when they're super hungry, nobody makes good healthy relationship decision when they're lonely. So, if you're getting out and just getting out in the world, getting out post kind of quarantine and meeting people and all that, if this is this could be a step on on the road to that, and we we don't want to discount that, but we want you to be we want you to be prayerful. We want you to never ever be in the mindset that you have to settle for less to get something. Amen. All right, we're gonna jump to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says. In the message, Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11 says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Why would the Bible tell me this and not give me the future that I hope for? Hmm. When my prayers are not being answered, this verse sounds like a lie to me. Hmm. Thanks for your take on this. And an excellent question about a verse that is maybe more often quoted than it is understood. And uh, really in the the end there, you know, some really awesome honesty that we love to see in these questions. And Jed, where are we kick off? Well, first of all, we are so sorry for the feeling of disappointment that you're dealing with and the feeling of letdown that you're dealing with. And that sucks. And if it's any comfort to you, uh, I have definitely been there, uh, and I've definitely had the feeling that you're describing, and I rather imagine my co-hosts have as well. So um, we're we're sorry for that. I, I think that part of the answer to your question, which I don't know how satisfying it's going to be in this moment, but it it's the truth, and you asked, is that time is a really big and really important factor. And the reason yeah. for that is that how we understand the thing that we hope for changes uh, with time and with growth and with experience. Um, talk about myself for a second. I have wanted to be involved in making music since I was really young, like really, really young. Uh, but definitely since I was 10. So let's start there. So how I conceived of what a future where I was involved in making music would look like when I was 10 was very, very different from how I conceived and thought of a future with music when I was 20 or 25 or 30 or 35. Um, that there was a, a core desire that, that, in a sense, was consistent, but all of my imaginings of how that would be lived out and what that would look like changed pretty massively uh, during those years. And it's worth noting that my earliest imaginings, 
I think more than anything else, we're just vague notions. You know, I just mm. I just want to do this and I want to do more of this. And then as those things got more concrete in terms of what I imagined and what and what I would hope for, I had no way of knowing, but I was often imagining things that would lose all of the good stuff that I actually liked about this, right? The way that I conceived of being involved in music when I was 20 years old, if God had just given that to me, if he had said, well, this is what you want, I'll give it to you. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that that would not have been good, dude. No. That, that would – well, and – Lee and I both have friends for whom the following is true. They got that, and they hate music. Yeah. It has, it has stolen every bit of joy. It's stolen every bit of vitality. Um, they, they don't like listening to music. They don't like performing music. They, they resent music. That's right. And I don't say that with any sense of judgment at all. I, I say it to say it's a perfectly understandable response to an experience that turned out to be pretty rough and pretty crappy. And, and that's the thing when I was 20. That's the thing that I really, really wanted. God, give me this crappy thing that will make me hate the good thing. That, that, that is what I wanted. And wow. the, the other side of it that's true as well is that the good stuff that was coming, the good stuff that God was preparing me for – if he had just told me what it was when I was 20, I wouldn't have understood it. I wouldn't have had a space in my brain to conceive of what that was or how it would work or, or even why I would want it. I can tell you <laughs> quite a few years after being 20 that what he had in mind was way, way better. And it, it definitely spoke to the core desire that goes all the way back to my childhood. He, he, he wasn't ignoring that, but he did have a much, much better way to implement it, a much, much better way to hook it up, a much better way to, to manifest it and, and bring it to life. So let's take all this back to you for a second. Right now you're stuck in a place where it looks like I want a thing and God appears to not in any way be coming through on that. And so it feels like not, is, not only is God telling me no, which would really suck even on its own, but God appears to almost be contradicting himself in order to tell me no, which is just confusing and bewildering. So now I'm sad and confused. And again, mm. we're, we're really sorry for that. We're, we're really sorry that that's where you're at. I think the, the thing that I want to say to you is that there is a huge, huge difference between no and not yet. And Christians mm. don't Amen. ever talk about that. I doubt that God is telling you no. I do imagine he's telling you not yet. In my life, when God has told me not yet, it's because he has something significantly better in mind than the thing that I'm trying to hook up, the implementation right. that I am trying to make happen. Obviously, I don't know you and I don't know your life and your situation, so I can't say that with 100% certainty, but I can say that's been true in my life. Um, I have not had a situation where I've chosen to follow God and let him do things in his timing where he hasn't brought it around to something that was actually better than the thing that I had in mind. Right. Meanwhile, what you're dealing with is hard. It's discouraging. There are not easy answers that make it okay today, and so we love you. We're praying for you, and we've got your back. That is all excellent stuff. Uh, I've, I love the ground Jed covered there. And Lee, I'd love to get you to, to look at the actual verse for us, because as we, we kind of joked about earlier, uh, particularly Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is one of the most widely uh, quoted and calligraphied and crocheted and Instagrammed uh, verses in the whole Bible. For sure. And it is a, a, a beautiful sentiment and a wonderful thing, but it's also specific. Yeah. This is the prophet Jeremiah talking to people 
in a place, in a time. Now, obviously, it's in the Bible, so it has something to say to us and something to say about what God has said with us. But how do we go about understanding this verse in the actual context it happens? Yeah, I, I, I like that. Uh, angle of the question, and, and and I love where Jed took this, and and I agree with him that that I think it's really cool that you asked this. I I had a place in my heart when I read the question that like I'm stealing this phrase from Glenn, who we miss, and he's not here, but uh, it squeezed my heart for you. Like I I loved you for asking it. I loved you for saying, "Gosh, I read this verse and it feels like a lie." Like, there's just something that's exciting about that, that someone uh, looks at Scripture and has the boldness to say, it feels like God is lying to me in the Bible. <laughs> I, it just made me love you. Um, so thank you for writing this in. But uh, I think it's important for us to draw the context of this verse. It is. It's exactly as Matt said. It's like the the second most out-of-context verse ever quoted by Christians and put on coffee mugs by Christians. The first most being, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know, quoted by athletes who are like 6'3", 235. It's like... Sure. Yeah, that's about hitting a double end of the gap, right? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? That's not. That's not. Have you read Philippians four? Anyway, um, yeah, that's that's about a guy raising money for poor people in Jerusalem. Just calm down. Um, you're six three. Um, yeah, this is the context of this verse is actually that the prophet Jeremiah is talking to the people of Israel, and the people of Israel have false prophets who have come to the people and said. Don't worry about these people who are standing at our borders. God is not going to let them do anything to us. The problem is, is that God was sending Jeremiah to the leaders of the people to say, oh, yes, I am. Um, Actually, what's going to happen is that you are going to be taken into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. That's the context of Jeremiah 29, is he's saying, I'm sending Jeremiah to tell you that you will go into captivity for 70 years, decades, generations, actually. Your life is going to suck. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be your worst nightmare. And what I want you to know in the middle of that is I want you to lean into it because I have some amazing plans for you. They're going to happen much later. It's going to take much more time than you think feasible, that you think possible to deal with. What I want you to do is I want you to trust my heart for you and my plans for you. And for decades, you are going to be confused. You're going to be disoriented for a long time. And, and, and this is right along the lines of, of the advice that Jed was giving to you, that, um, that we're, talking about, we're talking about future you here. Um, there's a future that God knows is good, and that's what's hard, that the, that the good part is, <laughs> is then. And that's the context of this verse, um, that, that people take this verse and they say, I, I know that God is going to do something amazing for me right now. But even the verse itself says it's a future and a hope. Um, the, the specific context of this verse is you are about to go into captivity for 70 years and then I'm going to bring you back. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go there and literally what he says through the prophet Jeremiah is I want you to learn the language. 
I want you to uh, build a community there. I want you to hunker down. I want you to wear the clothes. I want you to learn the culture. I want you to be a part of that Babylonian community because that's where you are going to raise your children. And then I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to do a thing. It's going to be amazing. That's the specific context of this verse. I I bring all that up to say to you this, that whatever the 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 application of this verse for us what it means for us is that we don't always know what god is doing in the moment but he knows what he is doing in the long run and what we need to do is to figure out what do you want me to do in this moment what god was telling the people through jeremiah was i want you to go to learn the language to to use their currency all of that stuff, because you're going to be there for a while, and I'm going to work, and I've got a plan, and I know what I'm doing, and I want you to trust me in that. It is a difficult thing for, for us to get a hold of. Uh, he's not promising a rosy path, but he's promising a future that he knows is good, and that's the part that's hard. It's a difficult, it's a difficult word. And the, the, the troubling thing is, is that people take a, an incredibly, this is, again, it, there's, a, there's an element of this that re- relates to the element of the last question. There's an incredibly nuanced and subtle truth that people try to make extremely reductive and rosy. And that's not what's happening here. This is not a reductive and rosy thing. This is an incredibly nuanced and subtle thing. It's true and it's good, but it is not simple. It is not unconfusing. <laughs> it's not reducible down to some incredible... It, it's not... You shouldn't reduce it down to a coffee mug uh, or to a meme that you put on your lock screen for your iPhone. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the difficulties of the mystery of the plan of God that may stretch over a confusing and difficult series of years, but he knows what he's doing and he's good and he, and he has a plan that we can trust. And that's where we need to pin our hopes. Uh, that's beautifully put and all fantastic stuff. Um, what's kind of odd about this is at least absolutely right. There's, there's a multi-layered and specific and uh, con- contextual uh, re- thing going on here that people try to reduce. And then there's like a, a very large over encompassing point being made that people try to put to a pinpoint of kind of a specific thing they want. Um, you know, the, the verse and you translate the message but in the, in the NIV and the one people are uh, maybe more commonly says, I know I have a hope and a future for you. That's uh Again, in the, and in the context of what Lee has given us there of in kind of, you know, early and ancient kind of uh, Mesopotamia, if you were 70 years under another uh, group of people, you actually might, you might not actually have a future. Like, right. This people group could be coming to an end. So this is a, a promise of a future. This is not a promise of a specific future. This is not a promise of a specific thing. He doesn't say you will... I will take you here and do this. This is, this is not the end. This is not your future is not this whole captivity, but there are going to be some things and I have a plan and a future for you. The, the thing about that is you mentioned your question. And again, we want to preface this. We've all felt this way and you're, we appreciate you writing it in of, you know, when I'm not getting the thing I hope for, it feels like 
this whole I want good things for you and if you have a future for you is a lie, um, my guess would be that you're a young person because um, when you're young, you tomorrow feels like the only future you have sometimes because that's, you know, you've only experienced so many days and it can kind of feel like if I don't get this tomorrow, if this doesn't happen, then, you know, uh, to Jed's example, if I don't sign a record contract by the time I'm 20 or if I don't get into this school or if I don't have this relationship, then I don't have a future. And big part of what this verse is saying is that's not true. You, you may not know exactly what your future is and it may not be the one that you, you would have sat down and wrote out when you were, when you were a, a 10 years old, but you have a future, you know, the Lord has a future for you. And one of the promises here is that it's a good one. It's one that is returning to him. It's one that he has his hands all over. And even when we can't uh, remember that it's still true. If you're walking around the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, there's gonna be a lot of times when it did not feel like that day was ever coming, but it did come. That's you do have a future. And that promise holds true. Even when you feel like it's not, when you feel like it's not, it's good to acknowledge that feeling and to reach out like you did. And if you have a question for us, you can reach us at say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. If you want to keep that anonymous, we're going to take it with a song this week. I don't really have a reason for picking this one. I just really like it. This features vocals of our friends, Lynn's Honeyman. It's called Fatherless. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Bye, Glenn. Wherever Glenn. you are. Bye. Glenn. He's the father to the fatherless. Looks out for those in distress. Gave me